Pastor Ed Taylor says God is going to fulfill his word to the nation of Israel. And that should comfort us. Listen, intrinsically, man knows that he is not the solution. Uh, it, it takes a virus, perhaps. It takes a doctor's note. It takes a diagnosis, an email. It takes a phone call to remind us that man is not in control. And God is exact with his times. And he will fulfill his word. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You picked a great day to join us as we take a look at God's calendar for the nation of Israel here on Abounding Grace. In Daniel 9, we read of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, each week is a seven-year period, and 69 have already happened. That leaves one seven-year period remaining. And today, Pastor Ed Taylor will share what's going to take place. It serves as a good reminder that God keeps his word, not only to Israel, but to all of us. Let's find comfort in that now. There is a particular time period that God has set in motion. There's a particular place where even though it's troubling times, I hear the invitation that we read in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, come now, let's settle this. Or in the New King James, it says, come now, let's reason together. God invites you to come to him with all your questions. And God invites you to come to him with all your concerns. And God invites you, even as a believer, a follower, it, is our, it should be our natural habit to come and to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us and to come with our questions. I think of my friend today that finding out that, that he lost his son and he's going to be filled with a lot of questions. And now he's going to grieve as a pastor very publicly and he's going to be misunderstood. And unfortunately, there are going to be people coming along that are going to want to take advantage of his weakness. And there's the internal things. And then there's the wife, his wife. And then there's his kids and his grandkids, other kids. And, and then on top of that, the inability to have a memorial service. Friends, look, God cares. And life can be hard. And yet, God is doing a work to bring about a specific end. Nothing will stop that. And in this particular vision that God is giving Daniel, it shouldn't surprise us that on the biggest part of prophecy that Israel is on center stage. As my friend Joe Rosenberg wrote, and he actually had a book titled this, but he declared Jerusalem the epicenter of all of world's history and all of prophecy. And it, indeed, it is. Jerusalem is the epicenter. It always has been and always will be. The Jewish nation brought forth a Jewish Messiah that provides forgiveness to the world. These are your people, Daniel. This is your people. And so the unit of time in the New King James is the week. But notice in verse 24 in the New Living, it's 70 sets of seven. In the New King James, it's 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion and put an end to their sin. In verse 25, it's seven weeks and 62 weeks. Uh, well, he says seven plus 62 sets of seven. And then in verse 26, 
We see after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed and appearing to have accomplished nothing and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple and the end will come with a flood and the war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Verse 27, the ruler will make a treaty with the people of, of one set of seven for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes des desecration, the abomination of desolation, until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out upon him. So you've got one week and then the middle of that week. Now, when you think of a week, I want you to think of seven days. That's what we normally think of. But in the Hebrew, the word heptad literally means seven or a unit of seven. So it doesn't always refer to a week specifically or days. It's a unit of measuring, like a dozen. When we think of a dozen, what do we think of? Say it out loud. Twelve. A baker's dozen? Thirteen. Why? Because dozen is a word that represents a number. It's a, it's a measuring. It's a number of measurement. Or let me give you another one that we use in our English language. When I say decade, you think of what? Ten. That's right. You think of ten because it's a unit of measurement that has substance to it by its context. To the Jewish mind, and again, now we're getting into the technical part, but it's very important. And to the Jewish mind, this could either mean a week of days or a week, a week of years. So much of Jewish literature is filled with that viewpoint of years. We see that clearly in the, in the book of Genesis with Jacob and Rachel. After tricking Jacob into marrying Leah, Laban says, Genesis chapter 29 verse 26, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied, but wait until the bridal week is over. And we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work for another seven years. Ancient Hebrews thought in terms of sevens. There was a weekly Sabbath, and there was also a time to take off a year, the Sabbath year. And the seventh year was designed to rest the land. So here's Daniel in captivity, studying the scrolls of Jeremiah. The Jews have been in captivity, but why? Well, really because they failed to keep the Sabbath year. They failed to give the land rest on that seventh year. They disobeyed God. Think about this. The nation disobeyed God and God allowed it for 490 years. Now when you do the math, how many Sabbath year rests were lost or not obeyed in 490 years? Well, 490 divided by 70 is seven. And it's amazing that the captivity, 70 I should say, it's amazing that the captivity was for 70 years. 490 divided by 7 is 70. So these weeks mentioned in Daniel are actually years. These sets of seven refer to years. And most scholars look at these 70 weeks as weeks of years, not of days for obvious reasons. As you read through them, just for example, as you read through them, it couldn't be days, it has to be years. The Jewish commentators, the Mishnah, the Talmud, all speak of years. So as we enter, notice, 70 weeks are determined, 70 sets of seven, or 490 years. Now, coming back, specific things will happen. Come back now to Daniel 9. Specific things will happen. Verse 24. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed 
for your people in the holy city to finish the rebellion. So there's actually six things that are decreed here. Within the 70 weeks designated for the nation of Israel, these things will be done away and completed. In other words, Daniel, good things are going to be happening. Uh, Iniquity will be forgiven. Prophecy fulfilled. Holy one anointed. Sin will be covered and atoned for. That's what he says. Finish their rebellion. Put an end to their sin. Atone for their guilt. Bring in everlasting righteousness to confirm the prophetic vision and anoint the most holy one. Wait a minute. To bring everlasting, everlasting righteousness, has that happened yet? I haven't seen everlasting righteousness. I continue to see the destruction and consequences of sin. So let's pause there just for a second. Six things up to that point. And then verse 25. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, uh, the anointed one, comes. Okay, so now we have a starting point. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem will be 483 years. There's going to be a set of seven, a set of seven years that is set aside. And there will be, from that time, seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass. Seven sets of seven. So notice, what is this day for the commandment to restore and rebuild? There's a little problem because there's four different directives given to the Jews to rebuild. The first one was in Ezra chapter 1, King Cyrus. He gave a general edict to go home and you're free to go. Number two is King Darius in Ezra chapter 6. He just reiterates what Cyrus says and you guys are still free to go. Then in Ezra chapter 7, King Artaxerxes said, go back and gather the materials and sacrifices. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, given by King Artaxerxes, was a direct command to go back and rebuild. Remember Nehemiah asked for permission to go back and initiate the building of the city along with the temple? And that's the one you mark the date. This is the command. The date happens to be well attested historically. It was March 14th, 445 BC. That was the day the command was given to rebuild and restore. So counting 69 weeks... 483 years from March 14, 445 would lead to the first coming of Messiah, the prince. So when did he come? You got to sharpen your pencils here, but there's folks that have done this far more in depth than we are in a Bible study. But we start on March 14, 445 BC. We take 69 years times seven times 360 days, and we come up with 173,880 days. As you count off those days, you come to the date, April 6th, 32 AD. What happened on that day? Well, Jesus tells his disciples to get a colt, and Messiah comes riding in Jerusalem, offering himself to be their king. And at first they welcome him, but then they yell, crucify him. You can jot it down, Matthew 21 and Luke chapter 19. You should have known, Jesus said. You guys that study the Bible your whole life, You guys that read the Bible your whole life, you guys that tell other people how to live your life, you should have known. And isn't that a a word to you pastors and leaders? That you're not just knowing the Bible so that you can exegete it and so that you can parse the Greek verbs and the Hebrew. Uh, As important as understanding the text is, you're to know this book for life change. You don't want Jesus ever coming to you and saying, you should have known. You should have known. You spent your whole life. You dedicated your life. You live off of the worship money of my people. Uh, You are able to pray and study the word. And then you miss it. Why? Because you worship the word and not 
the God of the word. And you were too involved in whatever else you were involved in instead of feeding the flock and knowing the word of God. You should have known. After 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. Now cut off can mean two different things. The word cut, um, sometimes in the Hebrew, means to cut a a covenant or to make an agreement. But it also means to cut off a body part or to punish by death with piercing. And then that definition reminds us of Jesus Christ being put on a Roman cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I know it gets heavy. Now, a warning to you because you might go home and jot it down and try to do the math. And you might calculate different numbers, 176,295, because you used 365-day, occasionally a 366-day calendar. But remember, uh, you're not using the Julian calendar based on the sun. You're going to use the ancient calendar, the 360 days, based upon the movement of the moon, which is what ruled the day in that time. And every few years, the Jewish people would add a a month or a leap year. And I would just recommend to you the book, The Coming Prince. It's an old classic. It's by Sir Robert Anderson. He exhaustively computes the days for this prophecy. It was so impressive that in 1901, they knighted Sir Robert Anderson. Now the future in verse 26, there's still one seven left. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing what? To have accomplished nothing. And that's a powerful statement. Many people look at Jesus' death and go, what did he accomplish? We accomplished the salvation of the world, those that put their faith in him. Notice a ruler will then arise and the armies will destroy the city and the temple. And the end will come with a flood and war. Its miseries decreed from that time to the very end. And it's in this last seven years, this last period of seven years in the history of Israel, it's still yet future. We are in between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. We're in an in-between time. The Bible calls that in-between time the age of the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. We're in that time of the fullness of the Gentiles. And we're in that in-between space because when the great tribulation, now I'm jumping ahead of course, but those of you know that in the book of Revelation, we have a seven-year time period known as the time of great Jacob's trouble or better known as the time of the great tribulation period. Now, let me take a breath because we're almost done. But you can feel how overwhelming this is to us studying it right now. Can you imagine how Daniel felt? He got this as an answer to his prayer. And I have to say, there have been times when I've gotten heavy answers to my prayers. I've gotten very difficult direction. I pray over something and I'm just expecting God to say, well, just let it go, Ed, I'll take care of it. And instead, I'll pray about a very serious situation and God will say, no, Ed, I want you to make that phone call. And I'm like, I don't want to make that phone call. Now, that's not heavy as this old unveiling, but there'll be times too when I'm praying and right in the middle of my prayer, God will just say, this is your answer. This is what, well, wait a minute, God, I want, I got to keep praying. And God says, no, I want, like Joshua, he says, get up, there's sin in the camp. And God will say, get up, there's situation needs to be taken care of. Get up, you need to talk to your daughter. Get up, you need to go make that phone call. Get up, you need to flush that alcohol. Get up. Like, no, it's time to move. But Daniel, this is, came in an answer to prayer. Gabriel's explaining it to him. Wow. Let alone, wouldn't you be blown away just an angel coming to you and explaining to you things? Wow, Gabriel, thanks. 
Now, according to verse 24, we know there's a time gap because according to verse 24, there's no ever, the everlasting righteousness hasn't come in. That too is promised in the end of Revelation chapter 20 in the millennial period. will usher in everlasting righteousness, the heavenly hope that we have, the eternal life. The 70th week has yet to be fulfilled. For over 2,000 years, every true believer has wanted the 70th week to come. Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 tells us and teaches us there will be a time very soon when God's heart turns again to the Jewish nation. This 2,000 plus year gap of time is the time clock for Israel has stopped and God has turned his attention to the Gentiles. This 2,000 gap has been, uh, thank God for the 2,000 year gap because we were saved. Thank God for that. And the time is coming when the fullness of the Gentiles is fulfilled and the 70th week of Daniel will be fulfilled too. And verse 27 back in Daniel 9 speaks of the work of the Antichrist coming on the scene in peace. Just like, I, I forget the guy's name from England, Gordon something. He just called for a one world government. It's almost like that article, it's on the christianheadlines.com. Now, depending on when this plays on, the, on, the, uh, on Abounding Grace on the radio. But if you're listening live right now, it's on christianheadlines.com where uh, this guy, the former prime minister of England, is just basically saying, they might have just wrote the article, we want the Antichrist. We are ready for the Antichrist. Because man knows Listen, intrinsically, man knows that he is not the solution. Uh, it, it takes a virus, perhaps. It takes a doctor's note. It takes a diagnosis, an email. It takes a phone call to remind us that man is not in control. And God is exact with his times. And he will fulfill his word. And he will fulfill it. God is not, one, more, one final word. God is not done with the nation of Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. If you've been taught replacement theology, you've been taught wrong. The church has not. Church is very distinct from the Jewish people and from the apple of God's eye. Yes, God has merged them together in the body of Christ, but he's not done with the nation of Israel. I mean, imagine this. If God was done with the nation of Israel he, and he wasn't going to keep the rest of his promises to that covenanted nation, then he wouldn't be faithful to you. And, and then you cry, oh, they failed. They failed the covenant. That's why God divorced them. Yeah, he did that many times and you failed the co new covenant. So what, what, what is it that holds you close to God? Is it your success or is it God's promise? Many years ago, there was a great movement of men. It's actually started here in Boulder, Colorado, uh, known as Promise Keepers. And I, it was an admirable movement. It was wonderful what it did for many years to rally men to be the men that God had called them to be. I only had one hesitation with it, really, in the early years, and that was it emphasized the man as a promise keeper. And again, I know we're talking semantics here, but, but the emphasis on a man being a promise keeper puts all the weight and effort on the man. And then when the man can't keep the promises, then he has an added weight of burden, and he has an added weight of guilt, and he has an added weight of shame. And I get the point, and I love, that. I love what God did through Coach Bill McCartney and all the guys. It was an amazing thing. It was an amazing outpouring for a season, uh, and it had its time, and it had its season. Praise God for that. But I don't want to be a pastor that emphasizes you as a promise keeper because I don't believe God emphasizes you as a promise keeper. You know what the Bible emphasizes? The Bible doesn't emphasize you and me as promise keepers. The Bible emphasizes the promise giver. It's God's promises. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. 
even in and despite our failure. Because what do we have to offer to God but failure? And what do we have to offer God? Who among us could deserve for God to keep his promise to us? You know, God, keep your promise because I've been perfect. Not even Daniel could say that. Daniel included himself with the sin of the nation. So know that God is exact and the 70th week of Daniel is coming because God is going to fulfill his word to the nation of Israel. And I'm so encouraged by that. Well, we've been in the book of Daniel today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the book. To hear today's study again, just visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. There you'll find our podcast, Pastor Ed's blog, our recent radio programs, a place to contact us, and even donate to the ministry as the Lord leads. That's AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is to download our free app, Do a search for Calvary Aurora and listen to Pastor Ed when it's most convenient. This month, we picked out a book we think you'll enjoy. It would even make a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the identity of the child in the manger, focusing on the hows and whys of Christmas. It'll serve to reaffirm your faith and help seekers pursue solid answers about the first coming of Christ. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember, this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd remember us in your year-end giving to the Lord. To request the case for Christmas, please call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you can make a secure donation to the ministry online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, this would probably be a good time to mention your website, edtaylor.org. You've been writing more on prophecy in recent weeks, haven't you? You know, I have, Larry. I've started writing, I mean, a long time ago. It used to be sent out by email, then we had a place on our website, and then I finally launched the the website edtaylor.org. And I have to say, uh, there's a little bit of humor attached to this because don't go to edtaylor.com because that belongs to a professional Santa Claus, which is not me. I own the domain edtaylor.org. And you can connect to us through our website, calvaryco.church, through aboundinggraceradio.com, through our apps, through gracefm.com. There's a lot of ways to get to it, but it's edtaylor.org. And I've been writing, I started it uh, beginning to write and process my feelings and responses and what the Bible has to say about grief uh, seven years ago when my son, after my son Eddie passed away. Miss him a lot, man. And so I just opened up a new channel of it, this whole pain opened up a new channel where the outlet was to process in real raw ways for other people going through the same pain. So I, I write, uh, uh, my passion is spiritual leadership and discipleship and development of spiritual leaders in the church. So I write on that. I also write on grief. I write on general life matters. And yes, I've been writing and adding prophetic answers as of late, because that's a big, those are big topics, especially concerning what's going on in our country today and what's going on prophetically. Uh, so I've been writing a lot. And I also uh, just added in the last year or so, uh, quoting Pastor Chuck a lot. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, the founder, God, the man that God used to start the Calvary Chapel movement, was just filled with the wisdom of God and the biblical understanding of current events uh, through uh, the scriptures. 
um, by God, by the Spirit. And so I, I also have just really great insights from the writings or the teachings of Pastor Chuck Smith there and and all kinds of neat things. It's really a site that you should bookmark, sign up for the email list so that we can connect with you. And and I really just write what's on my mind. There's no planned schedule of anything. Um, I just write what's on my mind, uh, what the Lord is leading me. Uh, a lot of it I've shared with my church first, and then I put it on my blog. But I know how to encourage you. I'll often go back and read old entries, and I'm encouraged because I know that the Lord inspired them, not like the Bible, but like he inspired the thought process to begin to share. And I was, I think it's great. I, I think I'm glad that you asked. I'm glad that we can put it before those of you wonderful folks that are connected with us. You know, we don't get to see you, but we do pray for you. We do appreciate you. And I'm grateful to be a small part of the big work that God's doing in your life. So visit the website, edtaylor.org and connect with me. I'd love to hear your feedback. So come on by edtaylor.org and check out some of Pastor Ed's recent blogs. We'll get back into Daniel tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.